All right, amen. So good, so good. I love just seeing God work and move. Uh, we are talking about missions today. We're not in the middle of a series. We ended our last series about when life falls apart last week. So today we're talking about missions. Next week we'll get the privilege of hearing from my wife. I heard so many good things about her speaking at the women's conference and so many people saying she should speak that here. I was like, okay, she will. So next week she's going she's gonna to bring that message about fear. Uh, next Sunday it's going to be an amazing thing, and I know it's going to bless you. So plan to be here. That's going to be awesome. But today we're talking about missions, and I'm excited because we have some special guests today. The Tong family is all the way here from Thailand, came all the way here from Thailand just to be with us this morning. Uh, that will give us a little update about their ministry and how things have been going uh, here at the end. And so we want to make time for that. So we won't be long today. But the title of today's message is God's Heart for Missions. God's Heart for Missions. I believe God has a passion for missions. And His passion has been set up to be facilitated through the local church. And we are a local church. You've got to think of the church in two ways. There is the, the big C church, which is every believer across the world who calls on the name of Christ, that everyone is the church. We're all part of the church together. But even though there's this large, massive church, there's also these little expressions of the church all around the world, in every city, in every continent, and hopefully in every tribe, every nation, and every tongue uh, by the time Jesus comes back. Because that's a promise. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And so as we are the local church, we are kind of God's uh, base of operations to facilitate His heart for missions. So the question is, since that word missions is kind of a churchy word, and some of you, if you haven't grown up in church, you might not have heard that term before. The question is, what is missions? What is missions? And in simple terms, we'll have the definition up there for you. Go ahead and throw that up there, brother. Read this with me. Missions is this. It is the participation of God's people in God's mission. That's what missions is. It is the participation of God's people in God's mission. So if, if it's us participating in the mission of God, we have to ask the question, what is the mission? What is it that, that God is endeavoring to do? Well, Jesus tells us in Luke 19, 10, he says, this is the whole purpose why I've come into the world. In Luke 19, 10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Somebody say, seek and save. That is the mission of missions, to seek and to save those who are lost, who are lost in the world. The mission of God is a rescue mission. Jesus came not to show off all of his super cool powers. He didn't come to get his face put on the cereal boxes and, and have all the swag like you see the Marvel characters. He didn't come to have his face put on the little kids' underoos and underwear that you see, you know, for, you know, like at Walmart. You know, that'd be, that'd be so strange to walk in and see Hulk, Captain America, Spider-Man, Jesus. You know, that'd be, that'd be kind of weird, right? But that's not why he came. He didn't come to be recognized in that way. He came so that all who sin, which is everyone, all who are helplessly lost because of this sin nature, who are eternally separated from their Father, who are hopelessly uh, slated to endure an eternity separated from God when they die, that they would have a hope 
of not just forgiveness, but reconciliation with the Father. That this relationship that was why we were created in the beginning could be restored. So that everyone who has a short window from 70 to 80 years, which is the average lifespan, at least in our nation, some uh, in around the world, that within that 70 to 80 years, that at some point you would have the option, the ability, the opportunity to be forgiven of your sin, say your soul saved, reunited with Christ in relationship, and brought into the reality of who God created you to be. Now, the old must die, the young may die. There's not a certain period of time we're guaranteed on the earth. And so it's vitally important that as believers, as children of God, we recognize this truth that the short window of time that every person has when they're here is the only window of opportunity they have to be saved. That's it. There's no salvation after death. So all who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, believing in His death and resurrection as the substitutionary payment for sin that was given to wipe out their sin debt by believing in the name of Jesus and loving Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that each of us would have an encounter with the love of God that would not only just radically shape who we know and believe that we are, that it would so transform us and fill us with the power to glorify Him that that reality would so fill us with a passion and a desire to help other people experience the same amazing privilege. That the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit was given to bring us into that new identity. God, here, what we need to understand is God is not just interested in changing individual lives, but He is. Your life is so precious to God. He's interested in changing your life, but that's not all He's interested in. He's interested in changing whole families. He's interested in changing the direction and legacy of entire nations. In Romans 5.8 is a very famous passage of Scripture. God wants to reveal His unfailing love to the whole world, which is why He sent Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. None of us are good enough to earn God's favor on our own, to earn salvation on our own. We're all jacked up. We're all messed up. And we were messed up before Jesus ever came. And we're still kind of messed up even after he came. If you're honest and you wake up in the morning, you're like, eh, you're kind of whacked. You know, if you're honest with yourself, there's still areas that we struggle with. But God didn't wait till we arrived at perfection to love us. He loved us in the midst of our depravity and our brokenness. And that's why his love is so transformational because it's a love that no one on earth has ever replicated ever in the history of the world. To love us so perfectly and completely even in the midst of such great brokenness. And the gospel, which means good news, the good news of Jesus, the gospel is God's invitation to the world to enter into that love. That, that you're born outside of that love, but the gospel is the invitation to enter in to that love. And the gospel is not just a message, but it's also a mission and a mandate. The gospel is a mission and a mandate. The mission is to fill the earth with the gospel. 
to fill the earth with it. In Matthew 28, verse 18, this is the Great Commission. This is Jesus' last instructions as, we, as He ascends into heaven and He sends us out into the world. He came to His disciples and He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Isn't it amazing to know God is with us always? Not just some of the time. It's always. When your life is falling apart, you're in the midst of struggle and brokenness, He's there. And when you're on the mountaintop enjoying the blessings and favor of the Lord, He's there. He's with you always, through thick and thin, through good and through bad. But His mandate or His mission To fill the earth with the gospel is so that you make disciples. Why is it important to make disciples? Because every person who calls on the name of the Lord receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables and empowers the believer to reveal the glory of God. So in essence, the more gospel we preach, the more disciples we make, the more glory is revealed in the earth. And the more glory he receives. It's to fill the earth with his glory. The mandate of the gospel is the duty given to each and every one of us. The mission is to fill the earth with his glory through making disciples. But the mandate is the duty given to each of us. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us. Somebody say, given us. Somebody say, given me. The message or the task of reconciling people to him. God sent Jesus for us, but God is sending you for other people. You have been given a task. You've been given a mandate to help reconcile people to the Father. The mandate of the gospel is for you, and it's for me. Jesus brought us to himself through the work that he did on the cross so that Christ in your life and through you can bring the whole world back to himself. And this doesn't just happen through osmosis. I don't know where we got this idea that if we're a believer and we just exist in a place, we just live in a neighborhood, that one day all of our neighbors will come to Christ, right? Or, or we're working a job and we just do everything we know to do to be good before God, that somehow all of our coworkers will just magically receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't just happen that way. It doesn't just, the world isn't reached that way. It happens through willful and intentional participation in the mandate and the mission for each one of us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus reveals really two aspects of this mission and mandate in the Bible. It's a promise that is an amazing promise. We don't have the time to unpack the depth of what he's saying here. But he says in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power, which means God is going to do it for you, through you, and in you. It's not your responsibility, but you just submit yourself to him. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In this verse, we really can see that there's two aspects to, to this mandate, to, the, to missions. There are what we call local missions. And there are what we call global missions. Local missions, this is Jerusalem and Judea. The disciples, they lived in Jerusalem. When Jesus was giving this admonition to them, when he ascended, they were in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, he told them to hide in Jerusalem, hang out there until the Spirit came. And so when the Spirit came, filled them with power, 
they were to first focus on Jerusalem and Judea. This was hometown. This was their home city. If you don't have a heart for your own city, how are you ever going to have a heart for the rest of the world? If God's not working in you where you live, how is he ever going to work in you and through you anywhere else? Right, so first focus on having a heart for your city. Have a heart for your neighborhood, your community. Focus on where you live. But then don't be limited to your neighborhood and your city because then there's all of Judea. This is extending outside your city to your state, to your nation. God has a heart for the United States of America. God has a heart for this entire nation. And he has a heart for this city as well. This is the first area. This is the local concentration. Jesus has put you in your city to represent him, that by living like Jesus in your community, reaching your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, and together with the rest of those in your church doing the very same thing, that your city will be filled with the love of God poured out through the faith of his people. This is local missions. But then there's a second side of missions. There's global missions. This is Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Samaria was the region outside of Israel. It was actually, the land of the Samaritans cut through the heart of Israel in some respects. But this is another nation, another land. And so God is saying, don't be nearsighted where you only focus on your backyard. Focus on the land around you. This would be like us saying, okay, not just Clio, not just Michigan, not just the U.S., but now we're going to look at Canada, and we're going to look at Mexico, and we're going to look at North America and South America and the areas around, but even extending beyond there, we're going to look to the ends of the earth because God has a global mission for the church. He's called us, most of us, to this city, but some of you, God might be calling to a nation overseas. You live here in the here and now because God has called you for this season, for this moment. Your assignment is in this city, in this community. But God might be planting a seed in your heart because he plans on taking you somewhere else to be a light and to be a place or a person of hope. To go and live as light in a nation and reproduce the kingdom of God in that nation. Something that just kind of struck a chord with me in in my personal time with the Lord the past couple weeks as I've been reading in the Old Testament it is something that is actually quite extraordinary. And I'm sure I've read this, I don't know how many times, as many times as I've been able to read through the Bible, but it struck a chord with me that's pretty extraordinary to contemplate in regards to the love of God is that no one is outside of the love of God. And I think we would all agree with that, right? No one is outside the love of God. No one's left out into that invitation to come home. But yet, we still have a tendency to write people off and kind of categorize people, even whole people groups, because of the evil that we see transpiring in their nations or among uh, those people, especially you watch the news or follow anything about the war on terror or terrorism and, and all the things happening in the Middle East. It's easy to look at them and say, man, God, just wipe the floor with those people. But John 3.16 is as true today as it was when John wrote the words that says, God so loved the world. It's not just part of the world. It is the world. It is the whole world. And at the time the Bible was written, even in the Old Testament, there were people and nations, even the Bible itself uses as like the standard of evil 
in the Bible as describing evil. They become, the nations themselves become metaphors or euphemisms for, for evil and wickedness in the world. One of those uh, that represents spiritual adultery or idolatry, moral depravity, was Egypt. Now, if we think about the famous Bible stories of Egypt, Moses, you know, he grows up in Egypt and he, he kills a guy and he gets scared, so he leaves town for 40 years. God comes in the burning bush, Moses. I've sent you as a prophet to my people. You know, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, we like can imagine that scene and from all the movies that we've watched. But Egypt is like the bad guy of the Bible, right? Anytime you think of Egypt, you and you've probably heard messages where you relate to Egypt as the bad guy or representing your spiritual strongholds or spiritual Egypt where you're enslaved and these types of things. And the Bible does the very same thing. When it refers to Egypt, it's referring to immorality, depravity, idolatry, spiritual adultery. And we know God judged Egypt when he rescued Israel out of slavery. We also can look at other books where God pronounced judgment on Egypt because later on after Israel became a nation, they uh, began to um, align themselves against other nations. And Egypt one, at one point betrays Israel and enables another nation to come in and destroy Israel. And so God pronounces judgment on Egypt. You know, 605 B.C., Babylon conquers Egypt and uh, just destroys, lays waste to their nation. And so we can look at the different judgments God has pronounced on Egypt. But yet, even though they were a metaphor for idolatry and spiritual adultery, viewed as the bad guys of the Bible, in Isaiah 19, 19 through 21 says something remarkable. And we don't think about this when we think of Egypt. We only think about the bad stuff, which I think is our nature. But in Isaiah 19, here's what the Word of God says. It says, in that day, somebody say in that day. In that day, this is the end times when God is bringing all things to himself. He's reconciling the world. Jesus is going to come and sit on the throne. It says, in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of of Egypt, not just on the outskirts. This is the heart. This is the center. This is the government. It says, there will be a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness. Somebody say sign and a witness. It will be a sign and a witness that the Lord of heaven's armies is worshipped in the land of Egypt. When the people cry to the Lord for help against those who oppress them, he will send them a Savior who will rescue them. The Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. Yes, they will know the Lord and give their sacrifices and offerings to him. They will make a vow to the Lord and will keep it. God, though he judged Egypt, does not hate Egypt. God has a glorious destiny for Egypt. Matter of fact, in church history in Alexandria, Egypt, if it weren't for the scholars in Alexandria, we wouldn't have some of the rich theology that we have in the Christian church today. The mere doctrine of the Trinity was argued and defended in Alexandria amongst the likes of scholars uh, that, that have created the cornerstone of the Christian faith, have kept the church from going off into uh, false belief and false doctrine. God has a glorious destiny for Egypt Oh, that we would see with God's eyes and not view people and nations through our own prejudices. 
that we would see a destiny to restore Egypt and pour out his love on those who believe in that nation. God has a destiny for this nation to reveal the glory of the Lord to the world, to be a sign and a witness of his goodness, of his love and his mercy and his glory. So what if we didn't look at Egypt as the bad guy of the Bible, but simply a lost sheep in need of a shepherd? How would that change our perspective? What if we didn't judge Egypt for its sins, but praise God for what he's doing and going to do in that nation to bring it into its glorious destiny? How would that change our prayers for that nation? How would that change our thoughts for that nation? You know, there's another nation known for its evil and wickedness in the Bible. It's the city of Sodom. Sodom was known for detestable sexual depravity and sin. And we use that term Sodom to refer to other things in the world even today. And archaeologists recently have discovered the ruins of this city. And, and this is amazing. I'm a really big nerd when it comes to biblical archaeology and things of the Bible. I don't know why. It just makes my faith just come alive. But in, in archaeology, they've discovered the city. It was the largest city of that kind in the region, the most densely populated. And science has proven that it was destroyed exactly the way the Bible says. It was scorched, and it was filled with salt. You're talking about Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. They believe that an asteroid of some kind uh, hit the nearby um, Dead Sea. It sent a flash of boiling and fiery water in, in, in elements into the area and just destroyed it in an instant. I mean, it's just amazing what they were able to discover. But we can go back to that story and see how God took this city that was known for depravity, wickedness, and evil, and he laid waste to it. He destroyed it. And all throughout the Bible, we can see them refer to Sodom as this evil and wicked place. It became a euphemism and metaphor for wickedness in the Scripture. And even Jesus uses Sodom as an example of wickedness as he's uh, addressing these unbelievers in Capernaum. In Matthew eleven twenty three. 23... They were rejecting the Lord, and he says this, And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No. You'll go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. They had rejected Jesus, and Jesus uses this, this common mindset, this common understanding that Sodom was like the definition of evil and wickedness, that they were the worst of the worst, and that this city that was rejecting Jesus, that it would be worse for them in the judgment than it would be for Sodom. And so the question has to be like, why? How could Sodom, which was the most evil, be better off than those who reject the gospel? Well, the answer is simple. There's a prophecy about Sodom too. In the book of Ezekiel, God is comparing their sins to Israel and pronouncing judgment on Israel for its wickedness and idolatry. But in the midst of God pronouncing judgment, his heart turns and begins to reveal his plan to restore Israel, to reveal his mercy and his love for the nation of Israel and also the nation of Sodom. In Ezekiel 16, 59 through 63, it says this, Now, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I'll give you what you deserve. For you've taken your solemn vows lightly by breaking your covenant. Yet, I will remember the covenant I made with you when you were young. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember the shame, all the evil that you've done. And I will make your sisters Samaria and who? Sodom to be your daughters. And even though they're not part of our covenant. And I will reaffirm my covenant with you. And you will know that I am the Lord. 
You will remember your sins and cover your mouth in silent shame when I forgive you of all that you've done. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So God is telling the nation of Israel, yeah, you've done all this stuff, and problems are coming. You're going to be disciplined for this evil you've allowed to enter the nation. But one day, this is, there's going to be a shift. Something's going to change. I'm going to forgive your sin. I'm going to restore your land. I'm going to reestablish our relationship and our covenant together. And when I do, I'm also going to graft in Sodom as part of that covenant. They weren't part of our covenant before, but they're going to become your children, which means this everlasting covenant, which we know was fulfilled in Christ Jesus the Lord, the gospel that's proclaimed that from now until the end of time, sin can be forgiven, man can be restored into fellowship with God. There's no evil too big, too mighty, too strong for the love and blood of Christ to overcome, that even wicked Sodom will be reestablished, forgiven, and restored, and included into the very promise of eternal salvation with God. What an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, it just floors me, the love of God, the love that God has for people. What would happen in our hearts if we looked at people that way? Not as the way we see them by what they've done, but by what God sees them for who he created them to be. What an amazing thing. God reconfirms his covenant with Israel he grafts Sodom in to inherit those blessings. Why? Why would he do that? Why? Ezekiel 33, 11. God says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wickedness so that they can live. God wants the whole world to live. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. God has a glorious destiny for Sodom, that they would reveal the glory of the Lord, for them to live to be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's heart is a heart of love. And that love is for the whole world. No one is exempt. No nation, no people, no religious group, no one. Even those he punishes, he loves, because he desires for them to turn to him and be healed. And God will redeem Sodom, and Sodom will reveal the glory of the Lord. If God loves Sodom, and this is something near and dear to my heart. If God loves Sodom and the people who do the very same things in our day that Sodom was doing, we dare not write off those who are at the center of his affection. If God loves Sodom, even today, we dare not write off those who are at the center of his affection. Maybe the reason why, as the American church, we don't take the gospel as our own personal responsibility seriously is because we're too busy judging people and nations than seeing them the way God sees them. There are no nations, no people, no tribes, no tongues that are off the table for the Lord. He's desperately pursuing every nation. He is on a rescue mission. And the same God who is sending us first left his own home to go rescue a people. To rescue even the most undesirable, the ones everyone wants to hate, the one everyone wants to reject. Jesus is pursuing them. God's heart for missions is that through the gospel, we would all obtain mercy and be reconciled to the Father and not live as spiritual orphans anymore. God's desire for missions is for his people to capture the heart for missions. 
In Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, the father is having a conversation with the Messiah, the Son of God, in this prophetic song. And in Psalm 2, 8, the father is telling the son, Jesus, this. He says, only ask and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. God's heart for missions is that the nations would glorify the Lord. He's saying, I want to do this. I want to give you the whole world. I want to give you the nations. Just ask. I'm eager to bestow this upon you. The Father wants to give the Son the nations for a kingdom. And God's kingdom is an ever-advancing kingdom. It stretches from land to land, sea to sea, shore to shore, person to person, soul to soul. And he's waiting for his children, his church, who have been given a mission and a mandate to open their eyes to the harvest field, to answer the call, to go rescue those far from God and invite them into the kingdom of God by being the light that leads them to Jesus. And I believe for us today, God is still asking the same question today that he asked Isaiah when he revealed his glory and commissioned him into ministry. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will I send? I'm looking out amongst the nation. I'm looking out amongst the people. Who am I going to send as a messenger? And here Isaiah, face to face with the Lord. He says, here I am. Send me. And God is asking us the same question. Who's going to go to the nations? Who's going to go to their Jerusalem, their Judea? Who's going to have the faith to take a step outside of their comfort zone and go into Samaria? Who's going to take up the call to go to the uttermost parts of the earth? Who will go to the nations? Who will help rescue my lost sheep? Who will answer, here I am, Lord, send me. And I think Isaiah, in the midst of all the things going on in that time, we don't have time to unpack that today. But I think the reason why Isaiah responded this way to the Lord is because he had a revelation of how big, how great, and how good God is, and what judgment was coming for those who die apart from God. He knew what was coming for those who were in disobedience to the Lord. He knew how big and how great God was, and in that reality of how terrifying the presence of the Lord is, but how amazing His love and goodness is, and what judgment would be coming, and how terrifying that judgment would be for His land, His people, and those God was calling Him to. This revelation helped Him have a revelation of God's love and heart for the nation. And because of that love that Isaiah was now feeling with God, he could not abandon his people to their fate. He had to respond. And I think for us to respond like Isaiah, to look at our city, our state, our country, other nations across the world, we first need a revelation of how big, how awesome, and how terrifying God is. How Beyond description is his glory, his righteousness, and his holiness, and what judgment is coming for those who die apart from God. There is a judgment coming one day. But just as how big is his righteousness, his holiness, and and how terrifying the, the judgment is, how amazing and how fantastic is his love and goodness for those who would come to him. For our hearts to begin to beat with the Father's heart for the nation. When our hearts are so gripped with the love of God for ourselves and for the world, 
we won't be able to remain silent or stand by and do nothing. We'll have to act. Beloved, we have a mission and a mandate. There are those who are called, who are assigned to be light in their Jerusalem and Judea, but there are those he's calling and sending into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you're not going, then you need to support those who are. And the easiest way to support those who are going is through prayer. Paul in Ephesians 6 said to pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion for believers everywhere. To keep believers who are up to the task, who are submitted and surrendered and going and making that sacrifice, that we uphold them in prayer. We put a spiritual covering around them. But the second and just as important is that we support them financially. Here at Vertical Life Church, we support just a few missionaries. I would love to support more. And some of the missionaries we support could probably use a raise. There's supposed to be an amen right down here. You know, there, there are needs. And I know the stress of ministry here at home. I can't imagine the stress and strain of ministry, especially when you're dealing with financial problems overseas. But we have a mission and a mandate. If you're not going and you're staying, you have the privilege of staying. You also have the privilege of giving. And I would ask you as a church to pray and ask the Lord how much you should give to support those on the mission field. Nothing's too small or too large. We don't ask for equal gifts. We're not going to check your bank statement and make sure you're giving the same as everybody else. I don't care if it's a dollar, five dollars, five hundred dollars. It doesn't matter. What would God have you to give towards missions? Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart will be enough. Maybe it's just something as simple as giving up that quick run to McDonald's because you're stressed out and tired and it's easier to get fast food than it is to cook dinner at home. And, but you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sacrifice this easy comfort meal to send the gospel overseas. Or you give up maybe one Starbucks coffee or what your favorite coffee is you know, for a week just so that you can send the gospel overseas, whatever it is. Whatever God is laying on your heart, we have a mission and a mandate. It is a privilege to stay, but it's also a privilege to go. And if you're staying, we have the privilege of supporting those who are going so that everyone has a chance to be reconciled with God and live eternity with Him forever and forever. God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would be saved, which means it's up to us to tell them. There's no plan B. So as we come to a close and about to invite the Tongs up to just give us an update for their ministry and what's been going on in their lives, I'd just like us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment, just into an attitude of prayer. And just in the quietness of this moment, the Lord is saying to you, who will go for me and speak to these nations? And who will stay and support those who do? Father, I just pray for us in this moment, God, that we would never lose sight of your heart for missions, your heart for the world. Lord, we stand here because somebody was sent to tell us. Somebody was sent to show us your love, to reveal your heart for us. God, forgive us for getting entangled in the worries and the, just the things of the world that have caused us to lose vision for your heart for people. And it's not just in our background. Sometimes we even 
get that in our spirit? Why are we focusing on sending Christmas gifts overseas when people in our nation need Christmas gifts? And why are we doing this? God, let us never get to the point where anyone is off the table. Your heart is so big that it includes the whole world. May our hearts be as large as yours and our vision matching yours. God, and I just pray for everyone here, Lord. And maybe they've never asked that question. They've never asked, God, what is your assignment for me? Is it to stay and build your kingdom here, or is it to go and build your kingdom in another nation? That in this moment, God, that they would begin to ask that question. They'd begin to ask, what is your will and plan for my life? And Lord, give me the faith to be obedient to that plan. And I just thank you, God, for what you're doing, for the lives you're reaching here. God, the way you're working and moving in our church and how you've enabled us to, to send the missionaries that we send, God. And I just pray for an increase. I pray for a greater vision. And I pray for blessings on our missionaries, for the Tong family, for the Peptels, God, for the Cliftons and, and Dearborn, and for uh, Laura as she is working against the human trafficking, Lord, and all the foreign and the global and the local missions that we support, God, for your blessing and favor to be upon them. And I just thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to show just a quick video, an up, uh, update video of their ministry. And then I, I'm going to ask the tongs to, to come on up uh, the video to give you the update. And then uh, if we could get the offering uh, bucket up here again, I would like to, at the conclusion, uh, take a love offering for uh, their ministry. Everything that comes in will go straight to them. Um, if you have only a checkbook with you, you can write a check to Vertical Life Church and write tongs on the memo, and then we'll, uh, we'll write them one check at the end. But uh, um, it's going to be an amazing thing. I'm so excited. Thank you guys for being here. Right.
Good morning, church. We are, I guess it's afternoon now, isn't it? <laughs> We're excited to be here today. We are so thankful for your prayer and financial partnership to us over the last um, four years it's been now. Um, just a really quick update or, I guess, background of who we are in case you don't know us or have never met us. We are the Tong family. Our two children are up here, Judah and Eden. And we um, had been, have been called by God to serve him in the nation of Thailand, in the province of Surin. Um, he called us in a radical and miraculous way in January 2014, and we've been living there since July 2015. Uh, we're here just for a few months. We go back in January. Um, and throughout this last term, which was almost two years, and really just since the beginning of Journey as being Christians even, um, we've been through, through a lot. We've been through a lot of challenges and difficulties um, and through a lot of high points in our life where we just we're riding on God's grace and blessing and we just think life can't get any better. Um, but today we wanted to share with you just a little bit about some of those challenges and, um, and how we can just be thankful to God through those challenges and see him work in miraculous ways. Um, the widow is one part of our ministry and then we do and reach to the village. And then I always involved in the community, go in the village and share gospel. We go work in the field with people and share the gospel. And then all I heard, 99% about challenge in their life is so many things. And then I share about God. And then, you know, we, you believe God and God be with you. And they like surprise. Because they believe in Buddha. If they need Buddha, they need to go to temple to go to their God. But when I told them about our God, that when you believe God, be with you all the time, they are surprised. They always share about challenge, and then they ask me to pray up for them. Not just them crossing challenge. We are facing challenge. No matter we live in Thailand or here. We all face a challenge. All the time, we always thinking good story to share what's God been done in the field. But this time, God like stirred my heart to share the challenge. How we deal with the challenge that God called us to. And the challenge that I, I heard before, in my mind, never thinks that can happen. I, I'm not, you know, I'm serve God. I believe and trust and obedient. Not going to be happen to me. I'm not going to face on that challenge. You know what? It's happened. Really hard. It's difficult. Sometimes, like, pray and, like, Ask God and uh, ask you with God, God, why this happened to me? I walk. I obedient you. I trust you. I give up everything. Follow you. But challenge is face on. I have a, one verse to share. Yep, Daniel can read on uh, Romans chapter 5. 
We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that, God, that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence, our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Amen. A challenge is not just financial. No matter what, we have million dollars, we still have challenge with um, face on it, financial. But we challenge in the life that we live on, that we serve God. Like here, we challenge with work, with anything, with married, with ascent. And how we use, God teach me, how you use that challenge to grow your life. But this word is encourage me when I face on it. Sometimes I just flat on the floor. I, I don't know what to do. But the song, this song is really encourage that he will find a way. God find a way for me to grow and face on the challenge. It's like when I read it, endurance. Because sometimes it's like I cannot take another step. God encourage. And this word in in the verse five and have love twice. Love. God love. God love us. God love me. God loved you. No matter what you face on, you have a good dream, you have a, a, a moment that you dream for, or you have a moment that you never think gonna happen. God love you the same. And this time we came here for looking for prayer. That we can have endurance, strength, and hope. Continue what God called us to do. We don't want to give up. We don't want to say, God, we're done. We, we cannot deal with this anymore. But in this word to say, God used challenge to string us. To string us. To have hope. That the verse 5 say, hope never um, disappointment for us. God hope is amazing. That sometimes our mind thought that we understand enough, but we just understand small things. And today, I just want to encourage that everyone face on challenge. Don't give up. Be with God. The pastors say, no matter God always with us. God always with us. Be with God. Use that challenge to string us up. God loves us so much. God loves us. You know, as we do face challenges of everyday life that everyone experiences, um, we're also facing some unique challenges of living overseas. Um, anywhere you live overseas, you're going to run into challenges with language and culture, right? Day-to-day -day overseas cross-cultural work stuff. But then on top of that, we are also working in a very spiritually dark place. And so we run into unique challenges in that area. Um, not only how that affects our own personal lives, um, but how it affects how we relate to people and how they relate to us. 
Um, and then it also comes into spiritual warfare um, situations in our lives and in our ministry. Um, and, you know, we, I, I was just thinking when Gun was talking about endurance that, you know, has that, is anybody here a runner? <laughs> if you've ever ran a marathon or even just working out, right? Um, I've ran a half marathon once ever in my life, and I'll probably never do it again. But, you know, they make those little packets of, like, they're, like, full of carbs and electrolytes. So you can just, they're nasty, like, gel, like, uh, it's almost like that fluoride the dentist put on your teeth when you were a kid. It's, like, really gross. But it's supposed to, like, give you a boost of just, like, energy and carbs to keep going to give you endurance. And I was just thinking just a second ago how, how God gives us endurance and he develops our character. But one way he gives us endurance is through the prayers of, of his church and through the prayers of our supporters and loved ones, whether they're here, there, wherever, that's almost like our gel packet for the marathon is your prayers. Um, and so we, today we want to boldly and unashamedly ask for your prayers. Um, we want to, first of all, ask for your prayers in our own personal lives, that we would run to God in challenges, that we would face them boldly because we know that we are victorious in him. We also want to ask for your prayers in our marriage. Um, we've seen our own marriage attacked in some ways, and we've seen other marriages of people around us, um, local ties and overseas workers just like us, completely crumble before our eyes. And we recognize that the, the, the spiritual warfare that we're up against often attacks marriages. And so we just want to ask for that um, that prayer today. We also want to ask for a prayer over our family, over our children, over our unity in our family, um, that, that our children would feel safe with us and in our home and as a family, um, because so much of the rest of their life feels um, like it's been through an upheaval or inconsistent or um, a little different than a lot of kids all over the world. Um, so we want to ask for prayers over our whole family, and we want to ask for prayers over um, not not only our ministry, but more specifically our partnership with the local ch church that we're working with. Um, we believe, just as Pastor Joey was saying, that that part of this mission is through the local church. God has sovereignly brought us to an amazing, healthy, growing local church where we're at. Now, this small local church of 70 to 80 people represents almost a half a million people surrounding them with no local church, no group of Bible-believing Christians who are gathering to worship and pray. No other um, churches that if, if you are seeking God in a village with no church or no, no group of Christians, you have no one to ask. You have no one to even, for even God to even send you if there's no one there, right? And so this group of local believers, we believe God has set them apart for such a time as this to go out, to go out and and maybe not them specifically, but as they go out, God multiplies his disciples and his church so that there are groups of Bible-believing Christians in every village in our area. Now, we know this isn't a quick work, and we definitely know this isn't an easy work, but this is what we're hoping for. This is what we're believing for. And we also know that 
our Thai partners who are still over there in Surin, Thailand, they are going to be the ones on the battlefield, on the front line, facing these challenges um, just like we do. And, and they're intense, and they're spiritually intense. And so we want to ask for prayers for our partners, our Thai Christians who are there in Surin, who they're going to be the face of the work as we are behind them supporting, praying, encouraging, um, and also being examples. And we believe that God has mighty things in store uh, for us personally, but more importantly, for this area that we're working in that is so unreached and so in need to hear the gospel. And so we want to thank you so much for praying. We know you press in. We talk with Pastor Pastor Joey and Tony throughout the year, and we know that you're pressing in. We know that you care. Um, we know that on Sunday nights that, that we are prayed for, and we thank you so, so, so much. And we want to encourage you Keep praying for us. Keep praying for your other missionaries you support. And keep praying for the unreached all over the world that many of us have have written off or forgot about or don't know about just because we don't know they exist. So, um, But there are very huge groups of unreached people all over the world. We are not special by being there. We have just been called, and God continues to give us grace to live out this life. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he does, and so we're continuing to go. We're continuing um, to work to work there and to serve him, and um, as he builds our character through endurance and through these difficulties, we see him work, and we see him do good things. So thank you so much. I have one story, um, last story. This morning... My son, Judah, asked him, where are we going? I said, we go to church. And then he, he told me, I want to come to the state too. I'm not afraid anymore. Ask me, is the dad? It's like, I don't have word to say. Our father, the same thing. He wants to see us at God. I'm not afraid to whatever I'm faced on. Because you are with me. Because you, my son, know that I'm here with him. I'm staying in him. I father the same things. Thank you, church. God bless you guys. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome, guys. So I, I want to conclude, but I want to honor the request to pray. And if you guys wouldn't mind, would you come forward? The whole family, come forward. And I'm going to ask anyone in our church that... Uh, would pray to come forward and, and lay hands on this family. And, uh, and let's pray, let's have a moment of prayer over them that uh, um, God would intervene, intercede, and work and move. And then when we're done, we'll be dismissed.